Well, it's a real joy to be with you this morning. It's good to see a few faces that look familiar, uh, but not too many. And um, before I started, I just started to share a couple of things. You know, you might not know this uh, because this is just your home church. You know, you rock up here every Sunday and you love it and it's great. Um, but what you might not realize is, is the impact that you guys have as a church not just in your city, uh, not just in this region, but uh, across, across the UK. You know, there are leaders and churches, both inside and outside the Vineyard family, who look to you guys, you know, see the wonderful things that you're doing, some of the, you know, some of the worship things that you've released, just, just truly amazing. And just some of the different creative ways that you reach your community. You know, there are people looking to you far and wide. And you just think, well, this is just my church. Um, but that's a really exciting thing. It's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. I also want to just say well done. Well done for being a community who is willing to invest in your leaders. And uh, give them space to go on sabbatical. Or a, a jolly, as it were. And um, I'm sure none of you need any convincing of this, but I'll say it anyway. You know, uh, Dave and Nick, uh, Tammy and I have known them for a number of years, but they are leaders who lead with the utmost integrity. And um, they've, they've got a real passion to reach this city and region, as you may have guessed. And, uh, you know, they're willing to push forward whatever the cost. And so it's important for you to know as a church, at least, that as you've released them in this season to, to recharge and relax, the fruit of that you will benefit from in, in the years to come. So, so well done. Well done, all of you. I was trying to think the last time we were with you, I think it was uh, 2019 BC, before COVID. And, and, and since then, it's safe to say uh, a lot of things have changed, uh, both individually, uh, but also collectively. Uh, really across the board, life has changed beyond recognition. For, for some of you, you will know for, for Tammy and I, uh, we have been through a season of transition ourselves. We have, um, for the last 16 years, have led a church called Central Vineyard uh, in Northampton. And um, for this last little while now, we've been, been decentralizing the Central Vineyard. And so um, we had grown to a size uh, similar to yourselves, where we were meeting across various different locations. And uh, in the la this last year or so, we have, uh, have effectively been turning those sites, those campuses, whatever you want to call them, into local individual churches. That's the, the process that we've been on. And so over this year, we've seen three churches really become their own and established. The church in Northampton, which we started 16 years ago. Uh, but then um, there's a, a church now in Kettering. None of these places mean anything to you because you live miles away. But uh, there's a church in Kettering. And then we've got uh, another church uh, in East Northamptonshire called the Nen Valley Vineyard. And so we're really thrilled at what the Lord's been doing amongst us. And in the process of that, the Lord has also been speaking to us uh, as well. 
And so as a family, uh, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be moving to a place called Bletchley, uh, the home of the Codebreakers. And uh, we're going to be planting a new vineyard church in the city, thanks to the Queen, the city of Milton Keynes. And so we're looking forward to that. Obviously, it's, it's been a huge change for us. Um, to use a gambling term, it's like we've had to put all our chips on the table. You know, we've seriously had to lay it all down and, uh, and really step out in faith in ways that actually we didn't realize we had. It's been a, a season of change and transition. I was reflecting recently with a group of uh, leaders and pastors. Um, you know, if being a pastor was about building a career then I realized that stepping back into the world of church planting after 22 years of ministry is probably career suicide. Um, So you're looking at someone who is committing career suicide. Uh, But I'm guessing in a room like this, there are many of us uh, on one level or another who can relate to what it means to navigate life in the midst of significant change. Uh, in the midst of disruption. If nothing springs to mind, then let me remind you, just around two years ago, our worlds were turned upside down. Uh, And this little thing called a pandemic happened. Do you remember that? And uh, none of us imagined anything like that could ever happen, happen. You know, I was thinking about this. Do you remember those times where you could go out for one hour a day, you know, and then loads of us became people who, who suddenly exercise because you thought, oh, I could do it for a bit longer. Do you remember that? That was just crazy, wasn't it? None of us expected it to happen. And now, having come out the other side of a global pandemic, we face even more disruption and uncertainty. You know, there's huge issues, isn't there, with the cost of living crisis, where fuel and energy prices are going through the roof. And, and we're all thinking, how are we going to afford to live? How are we going to afford to do life? Then, of course, there's the uncertainty of unrest on European soil. And, and just not knowing where this conflict between Russia and Ukraine will lead us. The reality is, is that both personally, but also corporately together, over the last few years, we've all had to navigate significant change. Combine that with a a huge sense of uncertainty and add to that a dollop of anxiety. And that's where we find ourselves, don't we? At least that's where I find myself. And it's in moments like this that that we face some choices. We can choose to live in fear, which to me seems like a, a normal thing that makes you a human being. That we can choose to live in fear, or we can learn to operate in this little thing that we often call faith. You see, in seasons like this one, in times of uncertainty, in moments of significant change, fear sees crisis, but faith helps us to see opportunity. 
And so in the time I've got this morning, I want to explore really what it means again to be a people who journey in faith in the midst of a world that seems to be spinning out of control, in, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of change and unrest, what lessons can we learn together to be men and women who walk in faith? It can often sound like a cliche, can't it? But in, in environments like this one, we often talk about being people who have faith. People who have faith. But what does it actually mean to have faith? You know, for, for Tammy and I, and particularly over this last year, as things have changed for us, uh, as we've laid things down, we've suddenly realized and suddenly gained a fresh perspective on what it means to have faith. We've also um, figured that we, we've realized how much little faith we sometimes have. And then actually, at following Jesus for like, you know, all of my adult life for about two years, no, um, for the last 25 years, um, we've we realized actually, you know what, this is an area of our lives that we need to grow in. One of the things I'm really jealous about, about you guys living in the Northeast, is house prices. Um, um, and, you know, if God could call me here, I would live in a big house. Um, but, you know, in this season of transition for us, we're moving further south. And I don't know if you know, when you move further south, house prices go up. And just clinging on to the Lord, Lord, how are we going to do this? You know, and realizing, I haven't got the faith of this, Lord. I don't know how I can make this happen. And so, although I can't do it complete justice today, I just want to take a few moments this morning to look at the biblical character of Abraham. As, as really what we, as what, and just to get this glimpse, this picture of what it means to be a people who have faith. So I've just got five things that I want to highlight to us. So as we look at the life of this character, Abraham, the, the first thing that we see is that, is that he models faith. He models faith to us. You know, one of the vantage points that all of us have is that we live and breathe here right now in the 21st century, and we have a vast number of people who have gone before us, uh, and, and, and a bunch of people that we can look to to learn lessons from. Uh, and there's probably no greater source of that than, than the scriptures itself. You know, in one sense, the Bible is the story of God, isn't it? It's the story of God, but it's also the story of people. And, and it's the story of people who do people stuff. And so, you know, you don't have to go too deeply into the scriptures to realize that the Bible tells some different stories about some pretty messed up people. People who do some weird and bizarre things. And, and, and what that means is, is that we've got this lens that we can look to, where we can learn lessons from the lives of the people that we read about in that book. Um, and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, figure out a thing or two in the process. And so we can learn principles, can't we, in, in some sort of abstract way. But the truth is, 
it's far more helpful for us, for us to learn things, learn lessons, and, 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 and learn how to do this thing called life as we see it embodied in other people. We all need role models, people that we can look to. Maybe take a moment and think of one or two people that you admire, that you look up to. Maybe if you're young enough, it was a, a teacher at school, someone who inspired you. Maybe it was a world leader, maybe, maybe not. Um, maybe it was a parent or a friend or, or even a pastor. Now, not every role model is positive. We can have negative role models. You know, when you work for that boss who rewards and promotes bad behavior, where lying to customers, where cutting corners, cheating in some way is normal. When that kind of thing is modeled to us, uh, where we quickly learn that what's required of us is bad behavior, that becomes a, a negative role model in our lives. See, the reality is, is that most life lessons are taught, uh, are not taught, but they're caught. We reproduce who we are. And so, as we look at the life of Abraham, who, by the way, is, is revered by most world religions as the father of faith. Uh, we find some lessons to be learned. And first of all, we see that he models something to us of what faith is. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.9 says, So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. He goes on in Romans 4.16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. You see, the thing that we see in the life of Abraham is that faith is the way of life for God's people. It's the thing, it's the, the thing that we're meant to operate with continually. Faith is a, a lifelong journey, one step in front of the other. Faith isn't just something where, oh no, we, we need to activate it when, when we come to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, where we find salvation. Faith is something that's required, but actually faith is more than that. It's, it's this life long process. You might compare faith to marriage. You know, you don't know everything you need to know about a successful marriage on your wedding day. Your wedding day is just the beginning. Succeeding in marriage with all its ups and downs, with its crises, through child raising, through building a home, will be a lifelong task. You could say faith is like parenting. You know, having a baby will not make you an expert parent. You can do all the parenting courses in the world, 
But when you've got a child whose will is stronger than yours and they're only two years of age, you realize you know nothing. See, faith that begins our journey, faith that begins our relationship with Jesus, is just the introduction. It's something that starts with a a simple decision, doesn't it, to trust him. And maybe you're here this morning thinking, I've never taken that step before. I've never taken that small step of faith to trust him. But that faith goes on and grows beyond that. And many of us have learned that our our childhood faith, that, that first step of faith, isn't necessarily enough for adult-sized problems. And so faith becomes this lifelong task. It's not static. You know, faith needs to carry us from child-raising to child-releasing. Faith carries us from careers to cancer, from practicing hospitality to entering a hospice, from weddings to widowhood. You know, whatever stage of life, every challenge, every part of life is either going to be a step forward in faith or a step backwards in unbelief. So Abraham models faith to us. He shows us what it means to have faith. The second thing we see is that Abraham's faith starts with a sense of calling. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn there. It's Acts 7. And verses 2 to 4. And it says this. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, and that could easily be sisters and mothers. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared uh, to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Iran. After his de- uh, the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. God sent them into the promised land. See, Abraham grew up in a civilization that worshipped many gods. A civilization that didn't recognize the, the one true God, the creator of all things. And it's in a an environment of idolatry, in an environment where you don't expect God to show up, that he speaks and he issues a call to this man, Abraham. In Genesis 12:1, it, it puts it this way. The Lord speaks and he says, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. You see, the beginning of of Abraham's faith journey is God issuing a calling. Now, over the years, you know, I've chatted to lots of people who get really hung up on this idea of calling. You know, what great thing is God going to call me to do? And, and And I think... The reason why we get hung up on it is because we can so often think about it in this kind of sacred, secular way. And so we can overstate and we can understate. We can, we can sometimes see some things as important, like 
oh, Aunt Steve and Tammy are born. They're going to plant a church. Or, you know, uh, Mike and Joe, they're going to, to save shields and they're going to start this site. And that's a really important calling. And we can, we, can, we can see that and put it up on a pedestal and then we think, well, I'm just called to work in a bank. Or I'm just called to accountancy. Or I, I, I'm just called to, for the time being at least, to just raise my son or daughter. And, and, and so we see some things as, as less important, some callings as less important. And I just want to remind us that Whatever the Lord has called you to, he's called us to do all things, doesn't he, in, with purpose, with a, with a sense of his anointing for the season that we're in. It's not measured on whether we think it's sacred or secular or whether we think it's important or not. And, and the truth is, calling always starts first with God himself. You know, God, God place places us in a place where he's like, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is call you to be with me. I'm going to call you to myself. I'm going to call you to trust me, believe me. I'm going I'm to call you to look to me. First and foremost, we're called to relationship with him. And it's from that place of being called to relationship with him, that we may get called to a particular place, or we may get called uh, to a particular task or a particular role. But we don't want to live in this place where we divide things up and we see some things as important, or oh, they're important things to be called to, this less so. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, when called to go to the place he would later receive his inheritance, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. You know, we recently, um, uh, we've lived in the same house for the last 11 years, and we've recently told our neighbours that we're moving. And um, we were pleased, pleasantly surprised to see that they were disappointed by that. Um, but... Um, I, this did get me wondering. I wonder how that conversation went for Abraham. You know, there he was, living his life, and suddenly he packs up, starts packing up, and they're like, Abraham, you know, uh, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we're moving. Really? Why are you moving? Well, God told me to move. God told you to move. Which God? Well, you know, the God of the universe, the, the creator of all things. Really? Well, where did he tell you to move to? I'm not sure. So God's told you to move, and he didn't tell, tell you where you're going to end up. No. And, 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 and so how are you going to know when you get to this mystery place? I have no idea. It kind of sounds crazy, doesn't it? Why on earth would anybody do that? Why would anybody leave what's comfortable and familiar and step into the unknown to, to become someone who's completely uncomfortable? The only reason I can see is because they heard God call. They heard God's invitation. 
Many of you would have heard this, but you know, John Wimber, the, the founder of the Vineyard family of churches, who always used to say, faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Faith is spelt risk. You know, as Tammy and I step out in faith in this season, in so many ways, you know, I lay in bed at night and I think this makes no sense whatsoever. As I said, it's career suicide. We've committed career suicide. You know, for the last 16 years, we've worked really hard to build a really great church, a church that I would go to. And, and, and you know, I figured for the next 20 years, we could have lived really comfortably. We could have lived a comfortable life. Why on earth would we upset that? Why would we risk that? Why in my mid-40s, um, with um, kids that are growing up, soon to be adults, soon to leave home, hint, uh, why would I you know, put myself through the pain of church planting again? Why, why would I do that? And the only thing that we can come back to, the only thing that we can rely on, the only thing that gives us a sense of certainty is that God has called us. God has called us to do this thing. A mutual friend of ours, Steve Nicholson, uh, he often says, old orders are good orders until you get new ones. Old orders are good orders until you get new ones. And when you get new ones, it's yes, sir. It's yes, sir. You see, as long as a bird stays in a nest, it will never know the wonder of flight. You know, as long as a child clings on to the edge of a swimming pool, they will never know what it means to have water carry them as they swim. As long as you and I cling on to what's comfortable, what's familiar, we will never know what God might do if we say yes. If we say yes to him. See, Abraham was told to leave his home, his family, and venture out. Yet saying yes, being willing to step out in faith, isn't always comfortable. And the truth is, the antithesis of our willingness to be obedient is often shaped by our desire for comfort. You see, Abraham's faith came with discomfort. It came with discomfort. As we read in Acts chapter 7, we see that Abraham settled in Aren, uh, and we don't really know why he didn't continue his journey to the promised land. Maybe he was tired. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Haran was an attractive place to stay. In any case, Abraham waited there for at least 15 years until his father died. And, and really, 15 years where we read of no communication from God. How many of us started off responding to God's call from, to us and then stopped because there was an attractive alternative along the way? Somewhere along the way, you made a comfortable compromise where you, you maybe thought, I'll just settle here. I'll just settle here. This is, this is nice. This feels good. Maybe I'll just stay here instead of going for everything that God had for you. 
The narrative also tells us that Abraham took his father, Terah, which, which kind of makes me question, did he disobey what God said? Remember, the, the command to Abraham was to leave your country, your father's household. Did he somehow compromise his call? And, and, and the, the reason that we often compromise our call is because we end up taking terror with us as well. So the question might be this morning is, what is your terror? Maybe it's a relationship, like, like Abraham, a family member that you can't let go of. Maybe it's the sentiment of the past that keeps you from entering the promised land. Maybe your terror is the security of a comfortable job, a beautiful home, a community that you love. And the, despite the fact that you feel God is saying move on, you can't let go. See, it was only after the death of his father that Abraham moved into the promised land. Terah needed to die. Could it be that whatever holds us back this morning needs to die first in order for us to respond to God's call? So we see that Abraham's faith is modeled to us. It's marked by a sense of calling. And it's a calling that requires no compromise, but invites us to embrace discomfort. It's a cheery message, isn't it? Um, but it also requires us to loosen our grip and to live a life in a tent. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 and 9, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And then verse 9, it says this, it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. When Abraham finally moved towards the promised land, he was 75. And when he died, he was 175. And so he spent 100 years moving around, living in a tent, no permanent home. I think what we see in the tent is something that is essential to growing our faith. Growing our faith and a life surrender to God. You see, faith requires a certain detachment from everything this world has to offer, where we're learning to live with open hands, with a loose grip on all the things that are around us. You know, as a, as a family, uh, we've done a lot of camping over the years. Uh, I don't know if there's any campers in the room, people who go camping, but you know, one of the things that it didn't take long to realize this, is that camping sucks. 
Um, and and, and what, what we discovered is, is that glamping is much better. Can I hear an amen from anyone? Glamping is, and, and, and so what do we mean by glamping? Well, what I mean by that is electricity, okay? Um, what I mean by that is a tent that you can stand up in. Such a, such a novelty. Um, a bed that kind of resembles a bed, you know, that you don't have to inflate every morning. Um, uh, essentially, glamping is like a home away from home. You know, it's that kind of sense of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm camping, but actually I've got all my comforts. I think sometimes as, as followers of Jesus, we can respond to his call like this. Yes, I want to go camping, okay? I want to go on an adventure with Jesus, but I want it on my terms. Uh, I don't want to be uncomfortable, uh, I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to rough it. I do want my Nespresso coffee every morning. But God's kingdom cannot be extended without losing our grip on this world. You see, for God's kingdom to be extended, some of us are going to have to say, I'm willing to give up money. You know, I'm willing... Uh, to give up some pay for this. Some people are going to have to say, I will give up some social standing with my neighbors, with my co-workers, with my family. Some of us are going to have to say, you know, I will undergo a level of personal embarrassment to extend this message. Some of us are going to have to say, I'm willing to give up the comfort of my home, my extended family, my country, uh, to go across the other side of the world to respond to God's call. You see, God's kingdom cannot be extended without the willingness on our part to, to maybe be willing to suffer for its sake. And this is, by the way, something that Jesus uh, said. In John, John 12 and verse 24, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Lo those who love this life will lose it, whilst those who hate their life in this world will keep it. Uh, for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where, where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the ones who serve me. See, Jesus tells us if the kingdom of God is going to be extended, someone's going to have to pay the price. Someone's going to have to be willing to sacrifice. Someone's going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Someone's going to have to be willing to rough it for the sake of his kingdom. So here's some questions for you. Are you willing to risk it all? To, to perhaps make what looks like a ridiculous choice to those around you. Are you willing to risk not being accepted by a few whose opinions seem to matter the most to you? 
Are you willing to be a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies? Are you willing to choose the tent as your approach to life in this world? Are you willing to do that? So, you know, Abraham models this faith journey that's marked by calling that invites him to a level of discomfort and life in a tent. But then finally we see his faith also requires an altar. Genesis 12 tells us that they, they pitched their tents and then it says they built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. How do we become the kind of people who venture out with God? How do we decide to give him our best yes? How are we going to be obedient and step out in faith to the call he places on our lives? How are we going to be the kind of people who choose to live that kind of tent lifestyle? Well, we become the kind of people like Abraham who build an altar. You see, the business of faith is not a case of reading some helpful books and figuring out 10 helpful steps. It's not a a matter of learning a few principles and memorizing them. The way that faith grows in our lives is by building an altar, having a place where we meet with God, where we meet with him. You see, faith springs out of the, the depth of relationship that we've built with him. It, it, it flows out of our secret history with the Lord. See, if we're ever going to lose grip of this world, if we're going to ever do something so compelling and obedient to walk in faith, we need to build an altar, a place where we continually meet with and surrender to the Lord. You see, learning to trust Jesus, I've learned, is by spending time with him. You see, our goal is not to know stuff about Jesus, as interesting as that might be. Our goal is to be with Jesus, isn't it? To experience him, to, to spend time with him, to talk to him, to listen to what he has to say. Our goal is to become like Jesus, to learn to respond and behave like him. And our our goal is to do the things that Jesus did. To do the things that Jesus did as if he was living our lives. And that starts at an altar. Where daily we're learning to lay our lives down again and again. And you know, an altar is anywhere. It's any space that you create where where you can meet with him. Maybe that's a particular room in your house. Maybe it's your garden. Maybe it's when you go and walk and in nature and experience the God's presence that way. Maybe it's the corner of your office in a lunch break. We all need to build a place of altar 
in our lives, where we come and surrender to him. If we're ever going to step out in faith, if we're ever going to walk in faith, if we're ever going to figure out what it means to have faith, we need to be people first and foremost on our knees before him. And so wherever you are trying to figure out how you express faith in this season, however you're doing that, however, however you end up pursuing that sense of call in your life and whatever it is you're called to, it's always going to flow out of our life with him. It's always going to flow out with who we are with him. 